today's, um, today's message is not really a, uh, a sermon um, as much as a, it's a bit of a Sondergeld uh, meditation, if that makes sense. A little bit of a mini uh, epiphany that I had um, when we were on holidays, actually. So I thought I'd share it with you and actually get you to think a little bit about it. So if you, if you hear some of it, you just kind of go, that's, some of it might sound a little bit theologically rough, like just, just, just go with the flow a little bit today and you can, you can write a paper on it and give it to me and then I'll put my name on it and, and say it was my idea. No, I won't do that, but um, just, um, just kind of go with me a little bit because it is, it is a little bit fairy around the edges. Uh, it it kind of happened, we, when we were down in Sydney, we, uh, we decided to, um, to go to, uh, to Hillsong, at Balkham Hills, to the main Hillsong uh, campus and um, it was just a fantastic morning. It was a really, really fantastic morning. We were really encouraged by it um, and uh, we really enjoyed the worship and uh, the, the preaching was pretty good, I thought, on, on that particular morning. And uh, it was coming away from that, uh, Angie and I were actually talking, where this little epiphany just kind of hit me about something. And you'll find out what that is later on, but that's basically the context for uh, where we're going today. There's, things are always changing. Has anyone noticed that? Nothing stays the same. Um, Everything's in a state of flux. Uh, scientists talk about the uh, theory of entropy and it's basically uh, one of the uh, ways to understand the theory of entropy is that everything eventually declines into disorder. Uh, unless there's kind of effort put in to order things, it just naturally declines into disorder. Is that, how am I going with the scientists? Is anyone? Because I get caught out with English teachers sometimes. They just they look at me and they shake their head with a smile on their face. They're very kind, but I, uh, I get caught out. But it's kind of pretty true in life, isn't it? I mean, anyone who's a mum who's got a house and lots of kids knows that things decline into disorder without energy being put into it. Is that true, mums? Yeah. It just, oh yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a yay and amen right there. And it's pretty true in your own life too. Like I, I, I would think probably for all of us, I'm not wanting to be negative, but I would think that there's been times this year where we probably, all of us have probably taken our foot off the gas at some point in time in your own life and things just decline a little bit at that moment. And there's other times where you've got your foot on the gas and you're putting energy into it and it doesn't decline and it actually goes forward. Is that, is that fair enough? Um, a classic one, uh, I reckon, is, um, you know, stop spending time reading your Bible and praying and you'll actually see a bit of a decline into disorder. But it tends to be more like, I've said for years, that it tends to be more like an, an, an oil tanker on the ocean. You can cut the engines and it'll probably keep sailing for another couple of kilometres, uh, but eventually it'll, uh, it'll decline and, and stop in terms of its momentum. Um, the truth is, if you stop working on things and trying things, um, you'll either look or feel like this guy. Um, the caption said he was the dirtiest man in the world. So I'm, that's physically, I, uh, I might add. Um, so look, uh, you're ending the year. You may be feeling a little bit rough. You may feel like this guy. Uh, and the question really is, what uh, do you focus on? And I've talked about this a little bit at the project before, is, is this uh, continuum that humanity seems to be on. It's really only a descriptive thing, but a continuum between pessimism and optimism. All right? So um, you tend, people tend to be on one side of centre. Now, I'm not saying you're an extreme optimist or an extreme pessimist, but they tend to be on one side of centre. It tends to be like, what's your natural kind of reaction to the way that you view life? Do you think things are going to go well? Or is uh, Murphy's Law your mode of operation? Um, who, uh, let's, let's just, can we have a show of hands? Is that okay today? All right. 
Your BO killer on. Good. So uh, here's the first one. Who would actually think that they are or other people describe them as an optimist? Is anyone here like an optimist? Okay, like it's probably going to go well. Okay, put your hands down. Who, uh, who pessimists out there? Okay, put your hand down. Who's, who's married to someone that's not like them? Isn't that interesting? That's really good. See, pessimism or optimism really tends to be a focus on either what is wrong or what is right. Um, has anyone ever uh, talked to someone who's like, uh, you just, is like a, just an OCD optimist? Has anyone talked to someone like that? Like everything's going to be great. It's just going to be great. And you can sit there and you can tell them how your dogs all died in a 30-minute period. Your six dogs all died and they'll go, well... At least there's more dogs in the world. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're just they're always gunning for the optimist kind of thing. It's like there's some really good things still out there. And you just kind of go, no, this is actually really, really hard. Um, you know, maybe you've just cut your arm off and they say something like, oh, it was a good thing it wasn't your head. You know, you've, you've actually done really well. And you're kind of going, well, that's true. But it would be nice if I had two arms. Uh, or you have a brutal relational issue and they keep saying how thankful to God you should be because you have so many other friends. Has anyone ever talked to someone like that? The pessimists are going, oh, they grind my gears like crazy. So any pessimists know what I'm talking about? It's just like, can you get down to the real stuff of life? It's not real. Your optimistic world is not real. These people, these extreme optimists can actually be really frustrating. Uh, yet they actually have some good evidence that the world is better than the pessimists think. Is that true? Because the truth is that the world is better than what pessimists think most of the time. What about uh, extreme pessimists? Anyone spoken to someone like that before? They're really depressing, aren't they? They're really, really... And the optimists are going, amen. Let's <laughs> preach that sermon. That's the one I came for the day, a couple of days after Christmas. The uh, pessimist always, the extreme pessimist always seems to focus on what is wrong. And pessimism, who knows that pessimism is not a particularly good motivator? It's just like, okay, you got me really excited about doing nothing right now. That's, that's the bottom line. It doesn't get you fired up at all. Now, I, uh, I would say uh, in, in a previous life, I shouldn't say it like that because that's the other team, but... Um, <laughs> I would say that at, uh, at one point in time in my life, I was heading in the direction of being an extremish pessimist, all right? Do you know what extremish pessimists call themselves? Realists. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? That's what they do. Because it's not cool to be a pessimist, all right? And some of you might go, I'm a realist. I'm probably offending everyone today, aren't I? And the pessimists probably have some good evidence that the world is worse than the optimists think. Is that true? You see, um, there's actually lots of material for both an optimist. Like in our world, there's lots of material to support an optimist and a pessimist. And I want to uh, show you why that's the case by just quickly giving you an understanding of three different uh, types of uh, human anthropology in the Bible, right? So anthropology is a study of humankind. It's a study of what makes us human. So if you look up on the screen there, when you read the Bible, you actually see three there's three different understandings of human anthropology, all right? Or how you understand people, how you understand what makes us actually human. 
What you've got with Adam and Eve is a pre-fall anthropology, all right? That's humanity in its perfected state. And you can actually, uh, I mean, the Bible talks about uh, the image of God stuff. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff in Genesis 1 and and 2 that you can kind of pull out of uh, pre-fall, the pre-fall texts that help you to understand what humanity was like before uh, they turned their back on God and sinned. Uh, and and followed their own way and then what you've actually got in genesis 3 is humanity decide not to do things god's way they put themselves in the center and everything kind of gets messed up Um, and you actually can get a really clear understanding in the bible about what sinful anthropology is if that makes sense what are humans like what's the nature of humanity when they're with sin in the world and then it gets really really exciting because you can actually the bible talks a lot about redeemed anthropology all right which is kind of post, actually that's said incorrectly there, it's not post new covenant, it's post Christ's death on the cross, it is the new covenant. The new deal that God has is the one that we actually live in if you're a Christian and there's a whole bunch of things that describe what humanity is like now because of what Jesus did if you trust in Jesus. Is everyone still with me? So there's, you can see those three things in the Bible, all right? And God's on a journey, and this is kind of where we're going a little bit, to restore true humanity, all right? That's kind of what he's actually going to be doing. So here's the first bit where you need to do some work. This is a test. Get this wrong and you need to leave straight away. <laughs> Not really. Okay. We, uh, we've been doing Mark. Does anyone know what chapter we're up to? 13. So... Um, you guys should know what the gospel is by now, right? We've been talking about the gospel a lot. So uh, it doesn't have to be one statement, but can, can someone... Um, well, let, let's have a few people. Who, who actually wants to throw in here? What's the gospel? See, my, me- my handwriting will be messy because I'm nervous because you people intimidate me, right? <laughs> this, uh, that's really important, right? The word gospel actually means news, but it's not just, um, you know, your kid stood up and walked for a few times, it took a few steps last night. That's pretty good news, right? But it's not just that. Like that, a gospel back then was actually news that changed things, like it was world-changing news. Um, so good news. There's a new covenant. What else? Let's keep going. Sorry. God breathed. What do you mean? Yeah, keep going. Okay, so you're saying the gospel is, is the word? Yeah. Okay, so you're talking about the actual written word in the, in the Bible. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Let's keep going. What's the gospel? Yeah. Yeah. Next. What's, what's the internal mechanics of the gospel? Yeah, keep going. Uh, what's the good news about Jesus? Yeah.
Yeah. Oh, that's good. Just keep going. Is that okay? Anyone got a burning contribution they want to make? All good. So here's the thing. You've got, if we go back to um, this slide here, all right, the gospel kind of uh, sits um, kind of in that gap a little bit, all right? It kind of sits there in between fallen anthropology and redeemed. I mean, the whole of the biblical story is about what God's doing to redeem people. But that's kind of the, the action point. I mean, that's one of the things we talk about often at the project here is the, the thing that actually changes people is, um, is grace, is God's kindness to them. Now, I read in a book recently that if you believe the right things, you'll live the right way. We don't actually believe that at the project, okay? We think that some of that is true, but in terms of the main change mechanism and the process for fixing up someone's life, it's not about believing the right things and then you'll be okay. It's about a relationship with God. It's about a covenantal relationship with God um, and His kindness toward you in the midst of that that actually changes you. So here's, here's the bottom line, right? Optimists and pessimists have got good evidence for both of their positions, all right? About whether the, the world's better than what other people think or worse than what other people think. Um, and this was the kind of epiphany that we had coming out of, uh, or that I had coming out of Hillsong, was that churches tend to be a bit like that too. Have you ever noticed that? There's some churches you go to and you just go, these guys are actually really, really negative. Or there's, and you kind of you go to it and you go, well, it'd be nice to have a bit more optimism here. And there's actually some churches that you go to that are really, really optimistic and you kind of go, well, maybe they're just missing out on a couple of things here as well. Maybe they actually need to look at the darker side a little bit um, more than what they actually do. Um, What I just wanted to do is uh, we're just going to have another... Does someone want a whiteboard write for me? Is that someone out there got the spiritual gift of whiteboard writing that would like to come and do it? Or you can hear... Joy does. She, She does. She just... No, she doesn't actually, so. Get my teacher on today. All right, you've got to chip in again here, right? Tell me what we're safe from. What? Okay, hell. Ah, we're not doing that yet. You jump in the gun, all right? You do that again and you'll have to leave. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What else? Slavery. Slavery. What else? Keep going. 
ourselves, condemnation, God's wrath. Consequences, is that cool? Of sin, yeah. Did someone say death? Yeah, that becomes going to sleep almost. The New Testament talks about. Yep. Fear. Okay. Sorry, did someone? Yeah, that's good. Now, in the early days of the project and in the developmental stage of Peter Sondergaard, which is still on the go, by the way, um, I probably would say that I was really good at talking... Well, maybe not really good, but I thought I emphasised... I probably emphasised what I was safe from and what people are safe from, okay? And probably even at the project, we're pretty... For those of you who are new, we talk about this a bit... Okay, so let's just go over here. What are we actually saved to? Fellowship. Life. Oh. Yep. Yeah. Tell me what kind of life what what I'm what I'm really asking here is what kind of life does the gospel mean that you should be living? And I don't mean that in a press, in a pressured way. I just mean what does it actually where does it take you? Righteousness, freedom. Oh, you're too quick. about this one overcoming you're uncomfortable with that one if you emphasize this you get uncomfortable with words like that but that's actually what the bible talks about it talks about that you're not going to be under stuff anymore you're actually going to overcome doesn't it is that does your bible say the same thing as mine it does right yeah yep so what if i just put Save to serve. Yeah, it'd be a blessing. And blessed. Who knows that because Jesus died on the cross, you get to live a blessed life. Isn't that good? You guys are really excited about it. Yeah. Uh, say to exercise dominion. Oh, that's good. What do you mean?
That is good. Do you guys get that? It's like the gospel reverses dominion. So originally humans were made to have dominion and because we turned away from God we became slaves and so the gospel actually means that people can have dominion again. Yeah. He's uncomfortable with that. Anyone? Because we could, uh, for those who emphasise this a bit more, you could, you could just spend a little bit more time on that one, couldn't you? These people kind of think, these people can think sometimes, I've got to be careful thinking about that stuff because I might become like those people. You get what I'm saying? And these people over here just going, oh, I've got to be careful because I might become like them if I think about this stuff too much. You know what I'm saying? Anything else? I mean, there's heaps, isn't there? I mean, what about this? Can't even read that because the screen's rocking so much, but what about that? A vibrant life. Have you been saved to a vibrant life? Have you? I think you have. You've been saved to a vibrant life. All right, I'm going to finish up really quickly because I've got about five minutes left. Here's my basic theory coming out of uh, Hillsong, right? Is that there is a gospel movement and the gospel movement is a from-to movement. You with me on that? It's a from-to movement. And that movement actually needs to happen when someone becomes a Christian, but that movement needs to continue after someone becomes a Christian also. So it's not actually, I don't think it's right to focus on one or the other, but to actually focus on both as a movement that the gospel, that God's wanting to bring about in your life on a regular daily basis, okay? Let me give you a couple of really quick examples. Um, The Bible actually talks a lot about this movement of from to... Uh, and it uses a bunch of different metaphors. You know, the first one is blindness to sight. Have you noticed this? People are going to go from blindness to sight. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. Uh, this is a uh, prophecy that Jesus quotes about himself in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What's Jesus actually talking about? He's saying he's coming to save people to something. He's saving them to freedom. He's saving them to, uh, to liberty for captives, to recovery of sight. That's kind of one of the things that actually happens when someone becomes a Christian is that, uh, is that God comes and saves them. But do you know what's interesting is if you look at Hebrews 3 verse 13, it says this, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, talking to the church, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What does that mean? That actually means that there's a tendency within people, even after they've become a Christian, to get blinded by sin. All right? What am I saying in this? The gospel movement of from to needs to happen for someone to be, become a Christian and it needs to keep happening after someone becomes a Christian. It needs to be a from to movement. Okay? So what am I saying in terms of blindness and sight, is that you need to focus on both of those all the time, okay? Not as two separate entities, but from a from-to kind of a movement. Here's another metaphor that the Bible uses, darkness to light. Listen to this from 1 Peter 2 verse 9 to 10. 
You're a chosen race, the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. From two, in the dark, in the light. That's how it's meant to happen. But if you go to 1 John 1, John actually encourages you, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, to keep walking in the light. What's he saying? Even after you become a Christian, you need to engage in a from to gospel movement every day of your life to keep walking in the light. Listen to what he says. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And John goes on to tell you in verse 9 how you actually walk in the light. You, when you sin, you confess it. You come clean about it, you get God to clean you up and then you move and you walk in the light. Do you see that? So it's kind of a from-to movement to get to become a Christian, a from-to movement when you are a Christian. Here's another one that's been mentioned, slavery to freedom. Romans 6 talks about this and I don't have time to explain this too much but Paul says here, for when you were slaves of sin you were free in regard to righteousness but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the bottom line. God, when you become a Christian, you stop being a slave to sin, you become a slave to God, which is the freest thing you could ever do. All right? That's kind of what happens. God takes you from slavery to sin, to slavery to him, which is freedom. But the interesting thing is when you get into... Uh, Galatians, Galatians talks about people's propensity to try and earn their salvation and go back to working under the law and be good enough to get God's grace. And Paul says, look, you've got to be really careful, right? Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. What does that tell you? There's a human propensity to submit to yokes of slavery even after someone becomes a Christian. So the from-to movement of the gospel needs to happen for you to become a Christian. And if you're not one today, that could happen today. But it also needs to keep happening once you're a Christian because you still get yourself into slavery. True? So it's not either or. It's not even probably both. It's actually a movement. It's just this gospel movement that needs to keep happening all the time. Why is that the case? The reason why that is the case is for two... There's two theological concepts in... Uh, in the Bible that you find in the Bible, one of them is justification and one of them is sanctification, okay? And you actually need the gospel and God's grace and his kindness toward you for both of them, okay? Does anyone know what justification is? Yep. Sorry, someone over here? Made righteous, yeah. So you put all those together. I mean, people said it before when we were talking about what the gospel was. Um... But justification is a legal declaration of righteousness, okay? So it's like you go to court, you don't have any defence attorney because everyone else is guilty except for God, all right? And he's the judge and he declares you innocent of all crimes, okay? That's what justification is. So that's why we can say, in God's eyes, you're perfect, okay? Because you have the righteousness of Christ given to you. And sanctification, who knows what sanctification is? Anyone know? You're all, if you're a Christian, you're doing it, all right? So you do know what it is, but who knows the theological kind of understanding of it? 
Yeah, becoming like Jesus. So it's kind of classic uh, 1 Peter 1, um, be holy because I'm, I'm holy. Uh, and, and it's growth. It's, quite, it's almost like a become what you are. That's what John Piper calls it. He talks about become what you are. He says you are pure, so become pure. And so the rest of your life, if you became a Christian today and decided to follow Jesus today and put your trust in him today, uh, the rest of your life, however long God would give you, would be about you becoming more and more like him. And then whatever's left over is all being sorted out on the cross and you'll be squeaky clean in heaven. All right? You'll fix, you'll fix up the rest of the imperfections um, conclusively at the end. So what's my point today? Here's my conclusion. My point today is that the reality of indwelling sin reminds us that we can't focus exclusively on the positive, doesn't it? We can't just focus all the time on what we're saved to because there's still a mopping up operation in process. We actually need to engage with the mess of our life and others. But do you know what? The reality of the resurrection reminds us that we can't just focus on indwelling sin. Isn't that right? That Christ actually paved the way for a vibrant, wonderful, overcoming, free life, didn't he? Of orientation to God. Christ has beaten it. We've actually got new hearts. The Spirit has been given and we've got a new power. We're victorious and we have reason to sing. Isn't that true? You have reason to have a spring in your step. You ought to be excited. You ought to be, probably, if anything, you ought to be a little bit more optimistic than pessimistic. True? Because God's real. He exists. He's for you. And he's, the gospel is a wonderful thing. And it paves the way for a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful life. Doesn't it? Now, does that mean that it's not going to be hard? No, it doesn't. Does that mean that there's... Because some of you are just going, come on, the Bible says there's going to be persecutions. Yeah, it does. But in the midst of that... God's going to meet you in it and you're going to be able to do it. You're going to be able to handle it. Any amens out there? Amen. It is. And so you get excited. And so, you, you know, 2016 could have been an absolutely brutally terrible year for you. And you could go into it optimistically. Why? Because God will be with you the whole way through and he'll meet the needs that you have. He knows exactly what's coming. He doesn't get caught out by anything. And so you can go into it and give it a good crack. All right? So get into 2016 and give it a good crack. All right? You have reason to be optimistic because of the gospel and because of God's heart for you. So let me leave you with this question. This is where I'll finish. This is basically what I've been talking about. I think the gospel movement is an endless cycle of that until Jesus comes back, all right? Your life walking with God starts with that process and then keeps doing that process. And that's good because God's storehouse doesn't run out of being kind to you. He, he doesn't get tired of freeing you from slavery. He doesn't get tired of healing blind eyes when they get blinded again. So let me ask you this question. This is the question I'll finish on. What do you focus on? We go right back to this bit here. You focus on what you're saved from or what you're saved to. And I would encourage you to uh, not focus on one or the other or even both, but focus on the gospel movement that God's up to all the time. And I would encourage you if you're... Um, someone who tends to focus a little more on one side that you can work a little bit harder 
to balance things up a bit and focus on the movement that God's up to in your life.